0: Amen. Well, the scripture reading this morning is from Ruth chapter 2, verses 17, 23. We've been going through a series of sermon on the book of Ruth. Today, we're looking at Ruth chapter 2, verse 17 to 23. This is the reading of God's Word. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She, she also brought out and gave her the food she had left over after being satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and with whom have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I, whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead." Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to, to be with my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother in law amen this' is a reading of god 's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for worship. thank you for worship it 's a place of rest, of healing, of restoration it 's a place that we remember that you 're our king. I thank you for your wor- royal word, which speaks to us. It speaks to people who are broken. It speaks to people who are hungry. It speaks to all of us who need you so desperately. So would this word be healing? Would this word be comfort? Would this word be peace? Would this word most of all bring us to understand who Jesus is? We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're right in the middle of a series of sermons on the book of Ruth. And the series is called Love in Hard Places, and we're exploring the biblical idea of what love means. And today we have a very sentimentalized view of love. Love is uh, being in love, is what many people consider what love is. Love is feelings, it's sentiment, it's emotions. Love is all you need. Love is finding the love of your life. That's the mission of so many people today. Finding the love of my life, and when I find that love, Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be amazing. And the problem with that is that if that's your view of love, you're going to get disappointed because love is hard. Love is not a victory march. Uh, it's, the problem is, even if you find someone you really love, the problem is they're going to change. They're going to change. Stanley Howell, he's a Duke University professor. He says this, we never know whom we married. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and they will change. For marriage being the enormous thing it means, it is, means we are not the same person after we enter it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Uh, One pastor said it like this, that uh, he says after he got married, he's been with three women. They're all the same person. (laughs) He says uh, his wife has changed three different times since they got married. And the, uh, the struggle of marriage is learning to love this person that constantly changes. And he's constantly changing. And his wife is constantly needing to love him as he changes. What, one of the things that we're trying to do in this uh, series is, is expand our understanding of what love is about. So this whole series, we're trying to relearn or maybe learn the first time what love, God's love is about. And we've been looking, we've been focusing on this Hebrew word. That Hebrew word is hesed. It's a Hebrew word which is multifaceted. And we describe hesed as the combination of loyalty and love. So one directional, unconditional type of love. It's the way God loves us. And we've been looking at different parts of what this love is about. And love is not something that we just need for our partners or spouses, but love is something that we owe to our neighbors or co-workers, even our enemies. Love is the number one thing God calls us to. It's the number one mission in our lives is to love really, really well and throughout the series, we're looking at what that looks like. So today, as we look at what love is about, we're going to talk about two things that if you do it, your life will be changed and you will change the lives of other people. And those two things is the, that idea of true love being patient and redeeming. And if you have those two things, uh, it will be a transforming kind of love. And the first thing that we're going to start with is this idea of patience, in love. The book of Ruth in many ways is about this patient love of Ruth. Uh, in the beginning of the story, essentially the whole book of Ruth is about two people. Uh, two women, Naomi and Ruth. It's about those two people. Naomi is the, uh, at the very beginning of the story, we meet Naomi. Uh, she is a woman who has left Bethlehem. She's left Bethlehem and she's gone to this foreign country called Moab. She's left Bethlehem with a husband and two sons. But she's come back from Bethlehem a different woman. In Moab, she's lost both her husband and her two sons. And she comes back, back to Bethlehem devastated. She says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? This is Ruth's rock bottom moment in the book of Ruth. This is her at her absolute rock bottom. She is bitter. She's angry. She's upset at God. She said, God has brought this upon me. She has lost hope in her life. But what does God do for Naomi? And the answer is God loves Naomi. The whole book, what we see is God loves Naomi so much. He's so patient with her. And what God does to Naomi is he sends her help in the form of a person. That's always how God works. God works always by sending us help in the form of a person. And that person is Ruth. Ruth sacrificially leaves her past and her home country behind to be with her mother-in-law. But we see that even, even though uh, Naomi has Ruth, she doesn't immediately change. In fact, uh, she stays bitter for a whole long time. For instance, in chapter one, Naomi heads back to Bethlehem. She tells her two daughters in law to stay back, stay in your home country, get married again, have children, live that dream for yourself. Just leave me to go back to be alone and simply to die. But Ruth refuses. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Ruth gives this moving poem that she's thought about for a long time. And she says to to Naomi, I'm never going to leave you. I'm with you to the the very end. Ruth sacrifices her whole future for Naomi. But it's interesting how Naomi responds. And this is going to be how it is. In chapter 1, verse 18, after this moving poem... And the sacrifice that Ruth makes. How does Naomi respond to all of that? It says this in verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. I don't think that's a, like a, a word of thanksgiving, do you? Ruth has given up her whole life and her future to sacrifice all of that for her mother-in-law. And you would think Naomi would be full of gratitude. Like, thank you so much, Ruth. For sacrificing your future, leaving your home country. But no, there's none of that. It says, Naomi simply doesn't say anything. (laughs) There's no gratitude. Secondly, when they finally get to Bethlehem, the first thing that Ruth does is she says to Naomi, I'm going to go out to glean. We saw last week that gleaning is hard work. Uh, Naomi knows, we just read this, it's dangerous work. You can get assaulted. And what's interesting is that Ruth goes out alone. Guess who's not with Naomi? Uh, with Ruth, Naomi. You know, Naomi at this point is still a middle-aged woman. She's fully capable of going out to support Ruth and to glean with her, but she doesn't. Why doesn't she do that? Many people say that Naomi has all the class, classic symptoms of depression. She is bitter. She's angry. She's not energetic. Throughout this whole story, uh, Naomi's at home. She has, uh, she's lost contact with people. She's lonely. She's bitter. Uh, She has no energy to go outside to work. She's lost hope in her life. And in the midst of those things, Ruth is supportive. She goes alone. She understands what Naomi has gone through. Finally, in Ruth chapter 3, and we didn't read this part yet. Finally, in Ruth chapter 3, after Ruth comes back with all of this grain, with all of this good news, Naomi hatches this audacious plan that we'll look at more closely next week. She essentially tells Ruth to go out. She composes this plan to get Boaz to marry her. And it's interesting that throughout this Situation Ruth is bitter, she's depressed, she's lonely, she's not going out, she's not working. And finally, when Ruth comes back, she's gonna she has the audacity to tell Ruth what to do with her life and who to marry. You know, most of us, if this is our situation and we were with a person like this, we might just blow up, we might be very upset about that. A lot of people are into this thing called the positivity culture, positivity culture is a set of books and teachings and sayings. It goes way back in American history to something called New Thought. In the 1950s, there is a book called The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. And now this idea of positivity thinking and culture is, is all over the church, and it's all, all throughout our culture. And a person involved in the positivity culture would tell, if Ruth was involved in positivity culture and Naomi came at that like, her, like that she did, Ruth would say something like, Naomi, you're a toxic person. You're a toxic person. I have to, you are killing my vibe. You're bringing all kinds of negative energy into my life. I've got to step away from you. You know, you are bringing too much negative energy into my life. I have, I have to go live my best life without you. That's basically what Ruth would say. That's what the positivity culture would preach, that, man, there's these negative people. And they are not helping themselves. There are all kinds of negative energy that is not helping me, so i got to move on with my life. I have to live my best life. And uh, Ruth could have certainly done that. Naomi was negative. She was uh, depressed. She was bitter. She was angry. She was not working. And you can imagine Ruth having a right to do something like that. Um, Paul Miller, in his book, A Loving Life, lists all different kinds of ways that we can deal with negative people, negative situations. Needless five, he says that with negative people and negative situations, we can be, number one, we can have self-pity. We can be like, man, this my life is messed up. Why am I in this situation? Secondly, we can be bitter. We can be very bitter and angry against that person. We can harbor resentment and be like, I don't deserve this. I'm so angry that I have to put up with this kind of behavior. We can become cynical. Cynicism is the idea that things are never going to change. It's a negative, terrible situation I am. It will never change. Fourth, we can gossip. We can start telling other people. Ruth could have talked talked a lot of negative things about her mother-in-law. Can you believe my mother-in-law, what she's doing to me? Her negativity... Or negative energy, we gossip about, or circumstances, or job, or coworkers, or spouse. Finally, emotional revenge—we could lash out, we can isolate, we could treat people with contempt. Those are all different ways that Ruth could have responded. You might be in a place in your uh, marriage or your relationship where you're bitter, you feel like your spouse is not the person you thought you were marrying; they are not changing. And we can be bitter about that. We can feel cynical, like things will never change. I'm stuck in the situation. We could be upset and cynical about church or work or relationships, and it's so easy to go down these paths. But what does Ruth do with all of these things? How does Ruth approach Naomi? and I want to focus on on that. Ruth is so patient with Naomi. Ruth is so patient with her. She allows Naomi to vent. Remember in chapter one, Naomi said all these theologically inappropriate things. She blames God. She says, God has done this to me. Ruth could have interrupted Naomi and said, Naomi, don't say that about God. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, Naomi. Ruth could have said that, but she didn't. She allowed Naomi to vent to get that off her chest. She allowed Naomi space to heal. She realized, man, my mother-in-law has lost her husband and her two sons. I'm going to give her space to heal. Ruth lovingly is gracious and patient. One aspect of hesed is patience. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul describes what love is about. And the very first thing he says in describing love is that love is patient. Another word for patience is long suffering. It suffers long. Patience means having hope plus time. I got hope, but it's on God's time. When we're patient with people, uh, we don't demand they instantly change. You relinquish control. You let God work in that person's let God work in that person's life in His time, not my time. I was listening to a testimony of a godly couple who planted churches. They planted a lot of churches. And they were in a neighborhood where they were having a hard time in this neighborhood, starting a church. People in the neighborhood were very hostile. No one was really receptive to the gospel. And uh, the couple was praying together. And they began to talk to each other. And this is what they came down with. They said, well, maybe our role in this starting this being here in this neighborhood, in this city, is simply to pray for this neighborhood. And maybe years later, there'll be another church planting couple that plants a church and it flourishes. And maybe that's God's plan. If that's God's plan, we're good with that. That was kind of astonishing to me as a church planter that they could have that kind of perspective. And they said because they had that perspective, they are able to not be anxious about their church. Maybe it'll start, maybe it won't start. And it allowed them to love people Because, man, they didn't have to be angry at people for not responding. They're like, well, God's going to do this in his own time, not my time. I'm going to trust, and I'm going to play a part in God's story. It might not be the part I want, but I'm going to play a part in God's story. Ultimately, uh, only the Holy Spirit can change people. We can't change people. Only God can change people. Our role is simply to love people. That's all we can do. We can love people. We can pray for people. And we can wait for God to work in their life in his time. Love, hesed, love is patient. We're patient with each other. We're patient for God to work. We operate on God's time. But here's the second thing about uh, genuine hesed love is that it's redemptive. In Ruth we see different aspects of hesed and this is what we're examining. We see it in Ruth. Ruth is a tremendous woman who models love in a tremendous way, but there's also another way we see hesed love being played out and it's through the office and a person called the Redeemer. We see it we see it when in this chapter, the end of chapter 2, Ruth comes back to Naomi and she gives her good news. You know, I found a man, I happened to find a man whose name was Boaz, and he was so good to me. He protected me, gave, lavished me with all kinds of good things. And Naomi, after hearing that, drops a bombshell. It's the biggest bombshell to date. The bombshell is that man that she had come upon was not a random stranger. In fact, he was a relative, not only that, He was a redeemer. This is what she says in verse 20. Ruth 2.20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi drops this bombshell on Ruth. This is not a random person. This is Boaz. You know, that information actually would have been helpful to Ruth before she went out to go cleaning. You know, uh, Naomi could have said, Ruth, this is the field you should go to. This is a relative of ours. But she waits until after the fact. And this tells us something about God's plan, by the way. It tells us about, uh, it's told to us very brilliantly, by the way, at the beginning of chapter 2, that Uh, Ruth happens upon the field of Boaz. But we know in retrospect that this is providential. Sometimes in our life, our life seems random. We're here, we're there, we meet this person, we go there. Things happen to us. But Ruth tells us that the providence of God, God is orchestrating all the events in our life. Nothing is happenstance. Nothing is accidental. You never missed your opportunity. God is at work in everything. Ruth providentially happens upon the field of Boaz. And who is Boaz? Why is he so important? Well, he is described as not only a relative of Naomi's, but as a redeemer. We're going to get to that next week more closely. But for now, a redeemer was someone who almost always was male, and he was helping. So whenever someone fell into a desperate situation financially, They're losing their property. Uh, They're losing their future. they were in jeopardy. A redeemer was a relative, the closest relative, who at great cost to himself could redeem this person, could buy back what they owed, could secure their future. That was a redeemer. It was, uh, in the Hebrew, that word for redeemer was goel. We often think of redeemer as God is a redeemer, but more so in the Old Testament, human beings operated as redeemers, to buy back, to protect. Redeemer was someone who owned the problem. Not just throwing money at it, but it became his problem. We see that even before Boaz became the official kinsman redeemer, he acts like a redeemer. We see him protecting Ruth in the fields. Last week I said that he instituted the first anti-sexual harassment policy to all his men. Yeah, you're not touching her. If you touch her, well, we're going to have some problems. I mean, Boaz protected Ruth. Boaz lavished her with grain. Boaz, most importantly, he invited her to the table. You're not some second-class citizen. You're not some foreign immigrant that is uh, bringing me down. I'm gonna, you are an equal. I'm going to invite you to my table. I'm going to personally serve you. He gives us pictures of what he'll eventually do. I was watching a documentary on the foster care system in Los Angeles, and in this, foster, in this documentary they, they uh, featured a woman whose life work was to adopt and raise foster children. Last week I mentioned how foster care system is a pipeline to homelessness in America, especially in our city of Los Angeles. This woman's life work was to take in foster kids that nobody else wanted. So she... Uh, She has seven kids. One of them is on the severe end of the autism spectrum. Another one, a young girl, she went to multiple homes. Nobody wanted her because she would be so angry she would destroy everything in the room. She was so angry that her birth parents gave up on her that every parent, foster parent she had, she would destroy everything and they, they just could not handle her. This woman took her in. And every day she would take these children, she'd cook breakfast for them. She prays with them. She brings them to school. And more than anything else, she provides a home for them. She loves on them. And she says, this is my life's work. She is a picture of Goel, of a redeemer, someone who owns a problem, someone who, at great sacrifice to themselves, sacrificially loves. Paul Miller tells a story about a missionary in Southeast Asia who, after who's in Southeast Asia, he's having a hard time translating the word love. And he thinks it's this word uh, pa, but he doesn't think that's quite the right translation. He says one afternoon he was on a raft, a makeshift raft on an overflowing river and with three other native women. And one of the native women fell into the river. So he jumps into the river to rescue her. They finally all make it back safely to shore. And when they get back onto the dry land, the women said that was che, love. And he realized that that's essentially what love is. That was, that was a kind of love that would jump into a river a great risk and sacrifice. That, che, that, that kind of love, that is hesed love. That is, I'm jumping into the river. I'm risking my life to bring you back ashore that is the work of a redeemer. Miller says, if your risk is low, then you're a donor. That's wonderful. Every Christian is to be a donor, or a giver. Just be careful. When you're simply a donor, advice and prayer can come quickly. You need to get counseling or we'll pray for you. Redeemers, though, own the problem. The weight of the other person's life falls on them. That's redemptive love. It's a love that doesn't just give advice or give money, but it takes your problems upon your shoulders and experiences pain to rescue the other. And you know, the, that's the love that will change someone's life. You know, what's crazy about Naomi is that she starts off a bitter woman. We t- talked about that rock bottom moment, but Naomi begins to change. She begins to change. We see it already happening at the end of chapter two. The end of chapter two, Naomi says, oh, that, that guy that you met, he's our kinsman redeemer. What is that? And Naomi starts, starting to hope again. Finally, we just read that when Naomi hears this Boaz, Naomi says, may the Lord bless this man. Remember in the very beginning, chapter one, Ruth felt like she was being cursed by God. Now she's starting to bless people. Naomi's changing. She's going on a journey of change. She's uh, beginning to experience that. And what is changing her? Love. The love of Ruth patient with her, not lecturing her, giving her space. The ruth of the love of Boaz who will come and give her grain, take the burdens upon himself. By the end of this whole story, Naomi's going to be so transformed, she's going to be overflown with joy and gratitude. You know, the thing that changes our life is that kind of hesed love. That love is the love that changes people? What if, in your life, you lived a life of hesed love in your marriage? Some of you who are married, what if you were patient with your spouse, knowing that you know it's God's work to change them? It's not my job. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for them. <laughs> I'm gonna wait for God to be at work in them. I'm gonna give them space in my life. What if we treated? Uh, what if we? had that hesed love which was redemptive. Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, said the the biggest fundamental problem in marriages is that we're selfish. It's the biggest problem. He says that if we approached our marriage and said, you know, the biggest problem in my marriage is that I'm selfish, and I'm going to be working on that every day. I'm going to try to work myself out of that. I'm going to try to serve you. I'm going to try to love you and be patient with you. He says, if you have that mentality, your marriage is going to start to change. You're going to own that problem. Imagine if we had that kind of Hesed love, not just for our spouses, but for our neighbors, our coworkers, uh, LGBTQ community, people of differing beliefs, people who are desperate to be embraced for our enemies. What if you are patient with people like that? And you love them, you serve them, you were the aroma of Christ for them, how would your life change? That love, if you get it, if you give it, would change people's lives. It would change people's lives. But here's the final thing. Ultimately, the thing that changes people's lives and the power to love like that is ultimately and fundamentally the love of God. You know, in the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is essentially a story about God's love for us about god's love for us and ruth and boaz they're such powerful figures because they're shadows of who god is and how god works we saw ruth beginning naomi beginning to change in verse 20 naomi says to her daughter-in-law may he be blessed by the lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead naomi said to her the man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers. We said that Naomi's beginning to change. The ice is breaking. Now instead of cursing God, she's blessing people in God's name. Naomi's on this journey, this journey of realizing she goes from being angry at God now she's starting to hope again. Could God be up to something in my life? Is God not really angry at me? Can he really be loving me? And most of us need to go on a journey with God of really understanding his love for us. You know, I've been a Christian most of my life, most of my life. And uh, most of my Christian life, I really did not experience the love of God in a very significant or profound way. You know, I, I felt like God, he didn't really love me. He was just all right with me. <laughs> That's the way I kind of felt about God. God didn't love me. He was just like, Dennis, he's, he's all right. He's okay. That guy, pff, all right. He, I was like God's middle child. You know, I didn't have all kinds of love. I didn't get the love, the claim of the first child. I didn't get this child so cute. The, the baby child is like God's middle child. Like, ah, he's all right. I just, he's there. They're present in my life. And I kind of felt that way with God. Like, God, he just was okay with me. And when I sinned and when I fell short and when I sinned the same sin again and again, I felt like God, not only was not, he not okay with me, but he was angry at me. Felt God's judgment in my life. Felt like God was angry at me. I occasionally still feel like that. But one of the things that really changed my perspective on God and helped me understand his love is to understand the characteristic of God is that he's patient. That really helped me. Look with me in Second Peter three: eight to nine. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's timeline is very different than our timeline. It says in uh, Second Peter that 1,000 years is like one day to God. Uh, 1,000 years ago was the year 1019. From 1019 to 2019, 1019 was a long time ago. Like, what was happening then? Not, well, in, Amer- in America, what was happening in 1019, the major significant thing was the decline of the Mayan Empire. That was 1019. 1019 to 2019 is such a long time. But to God, that's like Saturday. 1019 to 20 that's like Saturday to God. That's like one day. God has, his timeline is an eternal timeline. His timeline is way different than our timeline. We think of things instantly. Why isn't God working? Where is he? Well, God is thinking from an eternal perspective. God is patient with us. God is, specifically, He's patient with our sin. We're not patient with other people's sin, but God is patient with our sin. He sees our sin and He's patient with us. He understands. He's gracious. He waits. He knows that this thing will turn around. He knows who we are and He's patient with all of our failings. In verse 9, it says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. God doesn't want any single person to perish. He has this love. His heart bursts with love for his people. God is so patient. He's so kind. And he's so loving to us. Ultimately, we experience the love of God through a redeemer. The missionary Elizabeth Elliot says, It's impossible to love without sacrifice. He says, Love and sacrifice, they are always intertwined. Love and pain are always intertwined. There's no such thing as love without pain. There's no such thing as love without sacrifice. That's why we have the cross. The cross is the mix of love and sacrifice, loyalty and love, love and pain. Ultimately, we see that through a redeemer. Boaz is a prefiguring of the ultimate redeemer, Jesus. He pays, bears the greatest weight of all, the weight of our sin. He makes the greatest sacrifice of all, God the Father gives his son. And he gives us the greatest gift of all, which is eternal life. Ephesians 1, 7 says this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And it says that God gives us forgiveness for all of our trespasses. He redeems us through his blood. He brings us back to himself. God is rich in grace. He's full of love for us. You know, when you uh, maybe you feel like Ruth this morning. You feel a little angry. You're very bitter. You're very confused. Well, that's okay. It's okay to be in that place. And in the church, uh, we're to have space for people like that without lecturing them, without demanding that they change. There's space for you if you're like that. But the plan of God is for you to be on a journey, on a journey from that bitterness to ultimately that joy. uh, To experience the love of God, to experience his patience with us, to experience his forgiveness of us, to bring us back to our ultimate destination, the new Jerusalem, our place home. And when you receive the love of God like that, the patient and sacrificial love of God, We're now free to love other people. We are now redemption. Change always comes through a person. That's always. And if you want to see change, you have to be an instrument for God to work. Would you be that instrument of change? Would you be God's hands and feet? Would you experience that love of God? And would you express that to other people? Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. This morning, Father, we come to you at various places and various stages. Thank you for your patience with us, God. There's so much in our life that is not right, but you're so patient with us. And I just pray, God, that we would be patient with other people in our life. I pray for marriages which are bitter and angry. I pray that you'd melt the hearts of people. Pray for healthy marriages in our church. Pray for for people who are disappointed in life with their circumstances. That you would give them patience in midst of that, knowing that, God, you are at work. That you're providentially weaving everything together for their good. Help us to wait for you most of all. Especially in midst of a lot of tragedy and a lot of evil. Help us to wait for you. Knowing that your redemption is coming. The healing of heaven is coming. And we long for that deal. Help help us to be ambassadors for you. We know that we can't change people, but we can be instruments by which you can change people. So help us to be instruments of grace. Many redeemers in a very broken world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.